You're listening to What the Dev, the weekly podcast of ST Times. And now, here's Dave Rubenstein, Editor-in-Chief of ST Times. Yes, hello, everyone. As you've heard, I'm Dave Rubenstein, Editor-in-Chief of ST Times. Uh, with me today is Jason Barris, uh, a longtime friend of ST Times, uh, as we've been uh, longtime fans of Infragistics. So uh, thanks for being here today, Jason. Appreciate it. Thanks, David. It's great to be here. Thank you very much. Yeah, a pleasure. So we're going to um, talk today about low-code development. Uh, Jason, of course, was a presenter at our inaugural low-code, no-code developer day uh, just held a few weeks ago. And uh, so we're going to jump right into it now. And, and uh, Jason, let me just ask you, uh, low-code just seems to be exploding uh, and so what are you seeing as, uh, you know, a tooling company that is offering a low code solution? Uh, why do you think that is? And uh, where do you think this is going? Yeah, I think, uh, I think you're right on. And, and obviously you guys had, had a conference on it. So it's becoming this topic du jour. What, what you do know is when IDC, Forrester and Gartner start writing, you know, tens or dozens of papers on a segment it's getting a lot of noise, right? So they're getting asked about it, which means if analysts are getting asked about it, you've got like these big players in the market, big enterprises, you know, inquiring, hey, what is this market? What is this space? And then you start looking at the tooling that's offered out there, uh, not only from vendors like Infragistics, but then there's a whole host of other uh, WYSIWYG tools in the space. There was another vendor you had at the event called OutSystems, which has a very mature product. They've been around for a long time. Um, but the whole idea with low-code, no-code is you're accelerating product delivery. Backlogs are huge right now. Um, hiring is difficult. So it's not like we're going to hire more developers to do more work. It's like this never-ending problem of the business unit wants X, Y, and Z. IT can't deliver. Development team can't deliver. So how do we expand what individual development teams can deliver um, with tooling or this whole concept of the citizen developer, which maybe five years ago, you're like, is this thing real? Well, now we know, yeah, there's power users, citizen developers in business units outside of IT who are building apps with these low-code tools mm-hmm. and they're helping their business unit immediately. They're not waiting months or years for a backlog from IT. So the space is just blowing up and uh, it's a pretty exciting area to be in right now. Well, you know, there's a whole generation of people now coming into the workforce that are very computer savvy. I yep. mean, back in the day, if somebody would have said to me, you know, when I was 25 years old, you know, we need an application. Could you do that? I'd be like, what's an application? Right. Uh, so I would not have any idea. But because we have that whole generation of kids who've grown up with this, yep, it's a very comfortable kind of a natural thing for them. And, and one point that I made earlier when we were talking before uh, uh, we uh, started recording uh, is that in this space, unlike many others, people can go out, buy a tool, and be productive right away. There's not yep. a whole lot of training involved. Uh, the tool actually is the solution for what they want to do. It isn't like, a, like an agile or a DevOps, a conceptual thing that may or may not have tooling. You may or may not be doing it the right way. So it, it almost seems like uh, just in terms of straight productivity, as you say, companies, you know, moving the ball down the field, so to speak, uh, this yeah. really helps them get that done. Well, you know, what, one thing I mentioned in my talk at the SD Times conference was if you want to just start today, 
pretty much everyone has access to power apps from Microsoft, right? right? Which is interesting. They Microsoft refers to it as a low code tool, meaning, hey, there might be some code you need to write, but it's really a no code tool. I mean, you can basically build an app linked into your office account and do data entry, look up things into uh, uh, enterprise databases, and it just kind of works. You don't need anything special to get started. So there's all kinds of things out there. And even like from a segmentation on you know the complexity of these tools, a lot of the uh, companies that just do like if this, then that, or power flow, they're considered no code tools because they're getting so robust on what you can achieve with a WYSIWYG tool that is doing all this stuff that before you would you'd have to be like, oh man, I need to write some Python code to automate this. Now, heck, just uh, drag your dra- drag and drop your way to something that's actually really useful, productive, and eliminates you know maybe a bottleneck that you had on your team. Mm-hmm. So, so let me ask you just to take a look down the road a little bit, if we can. Does this? grow in any way or is it kind of this is a great solution for what we need and and that's what it's going to be or are there other applications that people are looking at or perhaps tailoring for more vertical markets or what are you seeing uh, as far as the yep. that's where we think low code from a uh, a longevity perspective low code tools that really work inside of your software development process where you might have a design team you definitely still have developers, but can we cut out you know six months of dev time by doing some uh, rapid application development with a low code tool? Mm-hmm. And what that will do is the low code segment that creates usable source code, like, hey, this is creating a usable Blazor app with production ready code, but it's testable. It goes into TFS and your dev team can maintain it for years. Those are the tools that we think the enterprises will be shifting to inside of IT. Um, Outside of IT, in the business units, they'll probably be looking at tools that are really not, they're not, it's not necessary to include a real developer. So there's sort of two areas I think that are going to grow. And uh, Gartner's predicting growth in both, right? Gartner says by 2025, 70% of app dev that that you used to use coders for will be done using a low-code tool. Now, does that is that a 50-50 split between the business and IT? I don't really know, but the numbers are huge in terms of the, the, the numbers of developers or the numbers of, that they're predicting of people using low-code tools for projects that used to be done by development teams. Um, so th- these applications can still have longevity. Your, your average enterprise app is a 10 to 15-year-old app, maybe 20 years old. You can still do that, um, but you don't have to. Right. I know one of the complaints that uh, I don't know if complaint is the right word, but uh, one of the one of the things that people talk about with low code solutions is uh, a fear of shadow IT. Yeah. Uh, not so much that they don't know what tool you're using, but they don't know what apps you're creating. So they don't know if they have the right security, if they've been thoroughly tested, you know, if they're following corporate governance or licensing requirements or any of that kind of stuff. How are organizations dealing with that? Yeah. So that was the big thing uh, when we started hearing about the low code revolution happening in enterprises is the next thing is going to be the governance revolution on low code tools, because you're exactly right. How do you ensure that you're um, you're not making any mistakes. And, and the big thing about low code is while you might have shadow IT 
maybe trialing or purchasing a tool, like the marketing department's going to purchase this thing and start creating simple apps for trade shows, right? To go do co collect leads and names and it goes into an Excel file. Okay. So that part's okay, but does the uh, marketing department still need access to data that is governed by IT? So in any enterprise and even in a small business, there's still that wall between the IT department and data and then what other departments have access to. They still need API keys or they need VPNs or they need, they need permission to actually use real data. And I think that's where you still, IT still has a hand in these low-code, no-code tools. Now, inside the enterprise, if I'm in the marketing department, we all have access to like all of our Google Analytics data, right? Because we have logins and we can do things like that. Is that necessary, necessarily useful in a low-code tool? Probably not, but maybe customer information that I do need permission to use in an application. And that still happens. So I still think that the, I don't want to say that it was overblown, that there was no governance and tools, but I think that most of these tools still need to access these systems of record that do have enterprise data, and you still need to go through IT to get those permissions. Mm -hmm. Very interesting. Now, tell me a little bit about uh, Infragistics and your approach to UI, uh, to UI and low-code, and, yep. and which of uh, your products is this being built into? Yep. So we, we've gone through a couple cycles of this over the last few years. We started out with this design to code story where a design team could take something like a design done in Sketch and then generate an Angular app. So Sketch is a really popular vector graphics tool. It's like Adobe XD. It's like Figma. And then how do we help uh, a team that's using design and development together generate code? So we went through that whole thing. And then we learned from customers that we like that. You got to broaden it, not just Sketch, but how about Adobe XD? How about Figma? But we also need a tool that helps developers finish the UI and then take it forward in Visual Studio or Visual Studio Code, whatever tool they're using. So now we have a product called App Builder. App Builder is a low-code tool. It's exactly what you described. There's a toolbox, WYSIWYG your way to a beautiful app design. It's creating code behind the scenes, and you can generate a whole app or just screens, whatever you really want. The key is it's production-ready. Um, enterprise level code that's testable. It'll last forever. You can go modify it. It's maintainable, et cetera. But the nice thing about our solution is that if you are doing this concept of what Gartner and others call a digital product design platform, where we do include designers, we want to do usability testing. We want to use Adobe XD on the design team to design a product and then hand it off to development we work with that too. So you can import your Adobe XD designs. We will generate all the screens based on that, all the digital assets, and then we'll spew out Blazor code, uh, Angular code, and then in the future, we'll do other platforms. But the idea is we're trying to blend into a product, a digital products team way of doing, way of operation, which is using uh, design tools it's doing a user experience process with user testing and then ultimately handing off to the developer something that they can use. But all along the way, it's cutting down on the weeks and months it would take for a developer to recreate everything that a design team did. And, and so we're seeing some success there. Uh, it's, a, it's, a, it's a big market. It's a growing market. Uh, the amazing thing is this is, uh, you know, the, the component vendor space is in the hundreds of millions of dollars market-wise. 
uh, low code, no codes in the tens of billions of dollars. So the market's just expanding um, for tools like this. So it's pretty exciting for us. We're on the very early stages of where this market's going to go. That's great. So I know when when this whole concept first came around, I don't know, maybe a you know, five or so years ago when people really started talking about it, there was a lot of pushback from the developer community, oh, yeah. uh, you know, because they're like, oh, we're going to lose our jobs. What are you what are you doing? You're, you're replacing us. Uh, but but you seem to have taken an approach that, uh, you know, gives developers clearly a role in, in yeah. making sure that things uh, go well. Was that uh, something yes. intentional that oh. you... The biggest thing is extensibility. Like, so create an extension point in your tool because designers are more picky than developers. They do not want to use another tool. If they're using Adobe XD, they're never moving off XD. So if you say, hey, use our tool, they're going to be like, I'm never using your tool. But if you make an extension point where whatever they do can kind of flow into something and then flow into what a developer would use, Mm -hmm. they're happy. And by the way, if I'm a, 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 t- a traditional .NET developer, which there's gazillions out there that are still doing Windows Forms WPF, they see everyone else doing Angular and all the single page apps. And they're like, I don't have time to learn that. My boss isn't giving me training. There's no budget for that. I need a tool that will help me, but still keep me in Visual Studio. So that's all we're doing. We're saying here, do let us do all the tedious, boring hand coding of HTML, CSS, layout, theming. And then just suck it right into Visual Studio. Keep writing as much C-sharp code as you want or write TypeScript in Visual Studio code, but stay in the tool that you love. So I think the important thing for that market, which is a very big market, is that you're not forcing some new thing down their throat. You're keeping them within the ecosystem of tools that they love to use. And it kind of, yeah, they have to learn a little bit new, but it's not ripping them out of where they're comfortable. Right. But organizations are still seeing this as a way to kind of uh, overcome the shortage of developers. I know you were saying earlier Big that time. you know IT can't deliver. It's not that they can't deliver, but they can't deliver in a time frame that the business would want it to be delivered in. Yeah, I mean, Infogistics literally has dozens of open positions that we cannot fill, right? And most of them are developers. Mm-hmm. It's very hard to hire developers today. Um, it's very hard to hire uh, UX designers today. And so the global marketplace has opened up. So we hire everywhere, right? We hire in any country. Um, but the, the problem is all that's done is created the need for how can we move our business forward? And so that's where this innovation has come in because businesses are going to keep making money. That's They're right. not going to say, hey, let's not do that digital transformation because we're down, you know, right. developers They're like, no. And so then developers feel the crunch everywhere. They're like, oh my God, we have more work to do, more backlogs. Right. I'm sure our developers feel like that um, <laughs> because we just keep piling stuff on. We got to move the business forward. So right. yeah, you're exactly right. It's how do we move the business forward with maybe potentially less developers in the future or more highly skilled individuals who can take on richer tasks. Right. And and I know part of the problem is the fact that people are saying that what what uh, you know, students are learning in college about programming has nothing to do with the reality of how businesses are working today. So I mean, that's a whole other discussion. That well, we yeah. And that. why is that? Because they're being taught by professors who are afraid that, oh, I must keep teaching this C class on memory management 
right. even though that's something a very few people in the world even today need to worry about because that's all they know. So that that you're, like you said, that's a whole other podcast. That's for sure. <laughs> that's for sure. All right. Well, Jason, thanks. Uh, thanks for being with us uh, here today. Thanks, David. I love the beard. You're rocking it. It looks good. <laughs> Thank you. Is that, is that a uh, pandemic related uh, uh, facial hair? It just started and uh, it started in the pandemic and I'm I'm not getting rid of it. It's too much work. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Well, thanks, uh, 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 folks. Thanks for joining us today. Uh, this has been Jason Barris from uh, Infragistics. Uh, thanks again for being with us. Uh, and thanks for uh, our listeners for uh, tuning in today. Thanks so much. Until next time, I'm Dave Rubenstein, Editor-in-Chief of SD Times. So long for now. <laughs>